This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hello there, how you doing? How's the crack? It's uh, Kevin Riley here, and welcome to Irish Time here on the Mano Two People's Radio in uh, Palmerston North. So uh, I'm going to start with a bit of news. I just picked this up earlier this morning because it's uh, the census in uh, well Northern Ireland was uh, produced some interesting sort of figures. So we'll get started on that in a wee minute since I get get the paperwork done. But it was it was just uh, I don't know if it was, I think it was predicted actually. Anyway, what we got here? The latest census figures show that for the first time there are more people from a Catholic background. Uh, in Northern Ireland than the Protestant background. The proportion of the residential uh, population which is either Catholic or brought up as Catholic was 45.7 compared with 43.48% Protestant. The previous census in 2011 found that 45% of the population were Catholic or brought up as Catholic. So they're moving up, as they say. It found 48% were uh, from a Protestant background or other Christian background. In terms of national identity, 31%, 31.9% actually, said they had a British-only identity, while 29% said Irish-only, and 19.8% said Northern Irish-only, which sort of makes you wonder what that actually means. Uh, census figures detailing the religious makeup of Northern Ireland were published by the Northern Ireland Statistics and Research Agency. The, uh, the figures which are being released in stages were due to be published on Tuesday, but that was delayed because of the Queen's funeral. Compared with the previous census, the proportion of people with a British-only identity has decreased. Meanwhile, 8% of people said they were both British and Northern Irish, up from uh, 62 6.2%. The latest census was uh, the first to be held since the UK voted to leave uh, the European Union. Around uh, about 60 questions were posed, but in truth, only one was going to grab the headlines. It's now official that those from a Catholic background for the first time in Northern Ireland's 101-year history outnumber those from a Protestant background. It is a hugely significant historic moment. I agree with that. First time in 101 years. But not surprising as the population pattern has been moving in that direction for some time. In the past 20 years, the number of people from a Protestant background has dropped by more than 10%. 10%, wow. A decline which has been linked to an aging Protestant population with high mortality. By contrast, the profile of the population from a Catholic background is much younger and in the same 20-year period has risen by 3% more. Isn't that interesting? Information gathered on passports held by uh, people usually resident in Northern Ireland were uh, UK passports held by 53% of the population, Irish passports 32%, no passport 16 uh, The percentage were UK passports uh, 59%, Irish passport 21%, no passport 19 That was in 2011. The percentage of people holding a British passport fell in every council area, while the numbers holding an Irish passport rose in all council areas. 
The proportion of the population born outside Northern Ireland was 11% in, 19, uh, in 2011, rather. In the latest uh, census, it rose to 13.5%. Among usual residents at age three years over, English was not the main language for 4.6%. This compares with 3.1% in the previous census. The most prevalent main language other than English remains Polish at uh, 11%. In terms of other languages, 124 had some ability in Irish. Uh, 20, in 2011, the figure was 11 as for Ulster Scots, the percentage with more with some uh, ability was 8.1 in 2011. It is now 10.4. According to the latest figures, uh, 33.5% of Northern Ireland's population, which is 65,000 people, now belong to ethnic minority groups. Good. This is around double the, the 2011 figure and four times the figure of 20, uh, 2001. The latest groups were mixed uh, mixed ethnics. Uh, all I've got down here is black, 11%, Indian, 9.5%, uh, nearly 10,000, Chinese, nearly 10,000, and Filipino, 45 uh, Remember that when I was last in Belfast, mostly the nursing in the, the hospitals were most Filipino nurses. Irish traveller, Arab, Pakistani, and uh, Roma, Roma uh, ethnics, constituted 1,500 people. Belfast is the most diverse local government uh, district, 7.6, followed by Mid-Ulster and Lisburn and Castlereagh. In May 2022, it was announced the population had risen to 1.9 million, the highest figure recorded in Northern Ireland since the establishment in 1921. Total population was 1,903,100. With slightly more females than males, people were urged to uh, complete the, the census online if they could, rather than uh, on paper. Eight out of ten people took the online option. So good on them, they did it. That's the main thing. Uh, and this is in the Republic of Ireland now. This is, uh, they didn't have a census, but this is just some figures that they knocked up. The Republic of Ireland's population is at an all-time high in the history of the state, according to the latest uh, census figures. The data which was collected in April 2022 shows that the population has reached 5.1 million. It's the first time the population has exceeded 5 million since the census of 1851. The population across the island of Ireland has not yet recovered to pre-famine levels. Interesting. Uh, the 2022 census figures marked a 7.6 increase since the survey was last held in 2016. All 26 counties recorded a growth in population, with uh, Longford and Meath seeing the biggest rises of 14 and 12 percent, respectively. The, uh, the preliminary figures uh, released by the Irish Central Statistics Office show that the population was 5,123,536 on the 3rd of April this year. The population across Ireland was devastated by the famine, as we all know, which occurred between 1845 and 1852. The countries comprising the modern-day Republic of Ireland had a proportion of about 6.5 million at the, the 1841, yes, 1841, with 1.6 million in Northern Ireland. Wow, the northern counties, Ulster. About 1 million people died as a result, with a further, uh, you know, several million moved, emigrated. The latest figures were there were slightly more than females and uh, males recorded in the census. Census figures released last month by the statistics show that Northern Ireland's population had grown uh, to just under 2 million. So it's actually on the move. Isn't that interesting? 
And Northern Ireland itself is uh, just under, like I said, they're just under two million. Uh, and it's like the baby boom generation. The population is 1,903,100. Uh, the population increase was greatest in the older age groups. The number of people aged 65 and more rose by more than 60,000 to nearly one-third of, the, of a million people. A near 25% increase. This is Northern Ireland now. Right? This demonstrates the scale of population change due to ageing. This looks set to continue as the baby boomer generation. The 1950s and 1960s reach retirement age. In contrast, and in line with the recent falling birth rate, the falling birth rate, the number of young children aged 0 to 4 decreased by 9% for the, from the last census. Uh, the last census, 200 in 2011, the population was 1,810,000. So they talk about, you know, I've got to, get to keep all these so-called foreigners out of the country. I think, the, you know, the population, like most other Western countries where uh, the population is retiring, is, uh, you know, past the 65, whatever the retirement age is be is increasing, you know, phenomenally. And they are going to need all these uh, people from overseas to come in here and, and carry on and keep the economy ticking over. Whether all these, you know, other people decide, no, 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 we don't need any more foreigners. We don't need this. It's really negative thinking, kind of racist as well. You know what I mean? Nationalistic. Anyway, what have we got here? Queen Elizabeth uh, Sinn Féin tributes to uh, the Queen, Sinn Féin's decision to pay tribute to the Queen and meet uh, King Charles III will be absolutely not alienate Irish Republicans, according to Mary Lou MacDonald. She's, she had no truck with the, herself with the monarchy, but she liked Prince, uh, King Charles. She said her party's relationship with the monarchy had changed over the past 20 years. This shows, and I hope this gives confidence to people on uh, the one hand, to reaffirm just how far we have come, but also to determine just how far, how much further we have to go. Miss McDonald said she was more than happy to acknowledge Queen Elizabeth uh, was at times a great champion of reconciliation, which she was. She described her past interactions with King Charles as cordial, warm, and very direct. And then, and it is that chain. It is in that change. Yes, who would have thought twenty years ago, ten years ago, that that was uh, possible? Speaking of the Northern Ireland Assembly, Michelle O'Neill said the Queen was a courageous and gracious leader. While the party's Assembly Speaker, Alex Maxey, said she recognised how a small but significant gesture can make a huge difference in changing attitudes. Miss McDonald paid tribute to the Queen following a minute's silence in the lower house of parliaments in Dublin. When the Queen visited the Republic... As the first UK monarch to visit the independence, Sinn Féin opposed the visit and declined invitations to take part. Didn't know that. That's kind of negative thinking as well. You've got to think ahead. However, the next year on a visit to Belfast, the Queen shook hands with uh, the Deputy uh, Sinn Féin Minister, uh, Martin McGuinness. Mr McGuinness was a former leader of the IRA, uh, the organisation which assassinated Prince Philip's uncle, Lord Mountbatten, and children. Sinn Féin politicians have since uh, met members of the royal family on several occasions. So that was good, you know, that they do that because of the Queen, who was just exemplary. You know, I mean, her, you know, whether you like the the Queen or the monarchy or whatever, she led an exemplary life. There's no two ways about that. You know, she was just, she was good. She didn't get involved. She had her own her own views. And no doubt she had some issues that um, influence when she was meeting with her prime ministers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, the, what her ideas or what her thoughts were on particular issues. 
Anyway, back to something. One of Europe's biggest money launderers in court in Spain. This is, this is the Irish Mafia here. An Irish man accused of being one of Europe's biggest money launderers and a member of the Kilhannan crime cartel has been remanded in custody. The suspect is under to be Johnny Morrissey, a 62-year-old Irish passport holder. He was arrested in Malaga there last Monday. He was in court on Tuesday, or rather on Wednesday in Spain, in relation to money laundering. It is reported that uh, six international law enforcement agencies were involved in the investigation that led to his arrest. These included Spain's uh, Civil Guard, the United States Drug Enforcement uh, Administration, and the Irish Police Force, the Republic of Ireland Police Force. Uh, the, uh, the crime cartel was originally based in the Republic of Ireland, where some members were involved in a highly in a high-profile feud with a rival crime gang, which claimed several lives. That's what I mean. Murder was a common; it was really common in Dublin, in particular, for a while. You know, these guys just shooting one another. You know, shooting to kill. Uh, the cartel suspects upper. Suspects operate in several countries and some alleged members have recently been hit with international financial sanctions from law enforcement agents in the US, the UK and Ireland. Uh, Europol, the European Union's police agency, released a statement after the arrest on Monday. It uh, did not name any suspect, but it uh, healed the, the arrest of a man it described as one of Europe's biggest money launderers. Linked to the Kintan, Kinahan clan, the suspect is believed to have laundered $200 million uh, euros, it's £173 million pounds sterling in just over one year. So, I mean, these guys are serious players and that kind of <clears throat> sort of street merchants are kind of, <clears throat> it's a business, unfortunately, you know, and they're in the wrong sort of business. They're right? killing people, which is, you know, with their drugs. And talking about things like judges, Irish judge, an Irish judge has been appointed the first female president of the... European Court of Human Rights. Uh, Sophia, I think it is, O'Leary, has become the first Irish president of the European Court of uh, Human Rights. Justice O'Leary is also the first Irish appointee to the role. Minister for Justice, I'm in uh, Coverley, said, welcome to her election, said, it is a source of pride that the first female president of the uh, of court should be have it be an Irish judge. And a statement released that afternoon, uh, Judge Rory has served. He said that Judge had served with great distinction since her appointment to the court and her election as president is a mark of the high regard in which she is held by others. The court is central to the protection of human rights, fundamental freedoms, and the rule of law in Europe. Never have these ideals and principles have been more important than they are at present. Uh, judge O'Leary has been a judge since uh, 2015 and vice president of the uh, European uh, Court of Human Rights since January this year. Oh, she's six, Robert Soprano, I think that is, from Iceland as president and will make up, uh, take up office on the 1st of November. So good on her. Prior to her appointment in the court, she held a number of academic positions and was uh, a chief of cabinet at the Court of Justice of the European Union. The European Court of Human Rights was set up in Strasbourg way back there in 1959 to deal with the alleged violations of the 1950 European Convention on Human Rights. Ireland assumed the rotating president of the Committee of Ministers of the Council of Europe on the 20th of May, a position it holds until November this year. So I think the Irish, the European Union, I'm a big believer, I think it's, you know, it gets people together, it's going to work, and I think Britain is going to be in a wee bit of trouble once all the... Kafuffle, I should say the kafuffle, but after the 
the remembrance for the late Queen has passed and the new king is, uh, you know, is uh, becomes the king. He gets all uh, the attention that is required, another procession possibly. But once that is over, then it's down to business, back to work, as it were, for everyone in the country. And uh, some of the, you know, the new prime minister and her basically very right-wing sort of uh, cabinet are going to push through some stuff that's not going to be very handy or very, uh, you know, it's going to cause problems, I would imagine. But you never know. I could be wrong, but it just looks like a disaster. I personally, I predict it'll be an election before uh, the two years are up, you know, the two remaining years of the the present government. Anyway, it's just me thinking out loud. Uh, Pierce Brosnan joins the Save the Boyne campaign against wastewater dumping in the river. Former James Bond actor... And Navin uh, Native, Pierce Brosnan, has joined an appeal to the the board against a plan by a local abattoir which would allow them to dump wastewater into the River Boyne. The group Save the Boyne lodged the appeal uh, after Dean Dawn meets, rather, were granted permission by Meath County Council to construct a seven-kilometre pipe pipeline from its slain beef arbitrary plant to discharge 400,000 litres wow, of treated wastewater into the river uh, per day. 400,000 litres a day. The uh, decision uh, was due on the, the appeal today, but it has been delayed. The Boyne Group, uh, Inland F- uh, Fisheries uh, Ireland, the National e- Ecology Centre, and the local kayak, com- along with uh, Mr. Brosnan, are sort of, you know, fighting this. Several tourist locations would be downwater from the discharged side of the Boyne, uh, the Boyne River, uh, wastewater cotton mills, including New Grange, Slane Castle, and the Battle of the Boyne Tourist uh, Centre. That, that, that is big money. That's what people in Ireland, well, tourists, I should say, uh, like to go just around that area, especially, uh, you know, New Grange, which is older than Stonehenge. Anyway, in a video posted on Facebook, uh, Save the, the Boyne campaigner, Brosnahan says that Navan, where he was raised, is home to one of the most beautiful rivers in, the, in Ireland. Water is our main precious natural resource. 70,000 people get their drinking water from the Boyne. The River Boyne is also one of the most important sites for salmon in eastern Ireland and home to rare plant species. I grew up on the banks of the Boyne where it meets the black water. It is one of the most beautiful rivers in Ireland and it should be nurtured and cultivated as a as a you know sentiment being of his being of history, beauty and life force of nature. Water is our most precious natural resource and water levels are historically low and cannot handle excess waste at this time. Waste from the Dawn Meats abattoir uh, should not be discharged into the river. He ended uh, the video with an appeal to Meath County Council to protect the river and their community. According to uh, Arkland, Don Meats have stated that it will be keeping with best practice environmental standards and will uh, not exceed all required and will meet all required standards. They all say that. Uh, non-line fundraiser was raised by the Save the Boyne, raising over the 3,600 uh, euros in an hour. An expert ecologist specialising in water quality and to cover the fees uh, also put in an appeal. <clears throat> um, a mix of advertising and supporting contributions helps keep paywalls away from valuable information like this article. Over 5,000 readers like you have already stepped up and uh, with their support with a monthly payment and a one-off, uh, once-off donation. So I'm going to follow that. I'm just interested because there's a lot of, uh, it's historical, but a lot of tourists go there. Okay, to get back to England. 
Okay, Liz Truss is Britain's third Prime Minister in just three years. The degree of instability is a product of modern Conservative Party's refusal to confess its mistakes and to correct them. Indeed, the Tories appear obsessed with blaming opponents for their repeated failure to deliver on their promises. The death of the Queen is a chance for the Prime Minister to um, reset this attitude in a number of uh, uh, controversies and unresolved uh, matters. The monarch's pace passing and the outgoing of affection for the late Queen hints at a yearning for a more unifying public conversation. Miss Truss must also be aware that the evolving nature of monarchy and the arrival of an opinionated king uh, King Charles III sets the stage for possible public conflict between ministers and the Crown. Uh, the first might come over Northern Ireland and Brexit. Uh, you know, they still have to work out what's happening over Northern Ireland. The King's view that no man is an island in the run-up to Britain's departure from the EU was interpreted as a rebuke to those who saw these islands. Destiny is independent from the continent. It was also widely remarked this week that the king seemed more at ease with Sinn Féin, which wants to remove Northern Ireland from his kingdom, uh, than with the, the Democratic Unionist Party, which is desperate to remain in it. This might be uh, because of the rupture in the political settlement caused by the DUP's boycott of the power-sharing agreement. They shut the government down. They just refused to take part. And also for this kind of United Ireland, the, well, the Sinn Féin people have been pushing for a uh, you know, a conversation on that for quite some time. It'll happen at some time, sometime in the future, but not for quite a while, you know. And it'll be a democratic, a referendum to see if the people of the North and the South want to see, you know, both countries, as it were, unite. But we'll see. Because, you know, the Catholic population is increasing, but that's no certainty that it's, uh, you know, a lot of the people that want to stay, uh, you know, want to join the Republic of Ireland, I think a lot of them are more than happy just to stay with the UK because of the welfare system and a number of other bits and pieces. And it's kind of home in a way. But it, uh, I personally think it will happen when he says because being part of the European Union is really vital, you know, for any country to sort of opens up a whole lot of markets and for people to travel backwards and forwards. And it just cuts out a lot of the deregulation, even though they moan and bitch about it, but there are too many regulations. But it works. In June, to the delight of the DUP, Ms. Trust introduced a bill that would give ministers the right in uh, UK law to unilaterally rip up the protocol that they negotiated and uh, eject Northern Ireland from the single market. The move has irritated Brussels, Washington and Dublin, where uh, such parliamentary vandalism is seen as risking decades of peace. Britain's friends hoped that Brexit divisions would be closed in time rather than widened. With the US President Joe Biden, the Irish Taoiseach Martin, uh, Martin, European Commissioner Ursula von der Leyen, von der Leyen, that's it, you know, she's a great woman, not the European Commissioner, arriving for the Queen's funeral. Mistrust ought, uh, ought to be able to thrash out a workable solution. If she does not uh, want to do a deal, she owes, she risks sowing division. Hardly anyone, including the King, would be happy with that. I think, you know, she made a lot of stuff that she was going to do, and I think. Hopefully that she will find out that she, you know, now she's the prime minister. That it's not just as simple as that to change the law. It is often suggested that the monarch's powers have waned over time since the 19th century. Journalist 
uh, Walter Bagshot first described the role of the sovereign in influencing rather than making the decisions of government. Bagshot wrote that the monarch had uh, the right to be consulted, the right to encourage, the right to warn. However, in 2012, Conservative Attorney General denied the Guardian further access to lobbying letters from the Prince of Wales to uh, the British ministers, saying that the monarch had, uh, has not just a right but a duty to make his views known to the government. This was a retrograde step for democracy. Even so, it may have unexpectedly unexpected welcome consequences. The coming weeks could see judges declare unlawful the deal reached by the former Home Secretary to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. Another mistake. Would uh, mistrust not think again, especially as the King has let it be known that he also disapproved of that policy? King Charles has said he will abide by the the, the precious principles of constitutional government which lie at the heart of our democracy, of our country. So it's going to be uh, extremely interesting to see how all this goes. The death of the Queen has all heaps great uncertainty upon an already uncertain world. For Commonwealth countries, now that uh, the last uh, th- uh, think tank to empire is gone, it is truly the end of an era. Does this, Will it survive? Uh, will Charles III be a welcome head of state? I think he will. There are questions uh, that Gordon would uh, probe for, for Britain, the Commonwealth and the world move into a new era. And we certainly are moving into a new era, especially with this, uh, <coughs> pardon me, you know, Vladimir over there in Moscow, sort of, you know, threatening nuclear war. Uh, you know, so I'm not kidding. You know, I mean this. I mean, this guy's he's the biggest concern than, you know, the British government or any other government at the moment. Anyway, Back to this right bus, that's a like, bus company up there in uh, Ballymena. Uh, hydrogen technology designed by renewing Ballymena bus company manufacturer will be powering public transport on the streets of Brisbane. Yes, in Brisbane, Australia. And a deal with the, uh, the Queensland government has been confirmed. Right bus, through its partnering, uh, partnership with Australian bus body manufacturer Volgreen, Volgreen, whatever, Volgreen, will provide bus operator uh, with its hydrogen fuel cell powertrain technology and chassis for the manufacture of two zero-emission hydrogen buses. Mm, two, it's a start. Queensland Deputy Prime Minister Dr Stephen Miles announced a 1.5 million commitment for the buses under the state government's Hydrogen Industry Development Fund. Uh, it will match the 1.5 million investment to purchase the two hydrogen fuel cell buses for services in eastern suburbs of Brisbane. Uh, right Boss Chief Executive said we're imme- immensely proud of our partnership with this company to deal to supply our hydrogen uh, cell powertrain part- technology for the manufacture of two buses for Australia uh, is just tremendous. This is an extremely exciting development in a sub- in su- for a substantial, sustainable rather, uh, public transport in Australia. And it will, uh, it will come, you know, possibly even over to this part of the world. Our hydrogen technology has a number of advantages. Our ride bus uh, bus has a 300-mile range, takes eight minutes to refuel, and journeys are zero emissions duty. It's emitting only water vapour. Queensland Managing Director Mark McDonald said he was proud of uh, securing the funding and the, uh, and the government's commitment to growing the hydrogen industry and its opportunities. I think that's well, certainly is the future, you know. Just as I think, you know, I know it's loathed in litter, but I think nuclear power is going to be uh, make a, a, resur- a resurgence. Uh, it's not going to be like Chernobyl or Three Mile Island, those monstrous sort of organisations. You know, industries are just kind of devastated. 
where they were happened to be place. They're going to be sort of <clears throat> not in your neighbourhood types of, but they're going to be very much more, uh, yeah, community sort of style. Yep, uh, community style operations. And, uh, I really truly think that that will come, you know, given the sort of the crisis that we're in with the fuel. You know, the crisis is really bad, and it's going to get worse for a lot of people. Anyway, on a completely different subject here, new attendance record at the National Plowing Championships. I mentioned this last week. A new attendance record has been set at the National Plowing Championships in in uh, County Laws. Uh, 115,000 and a half, uh, 115,500 people came through the seat of the gates today, according to the organisers. This is the highest attendance ever recorded on a single day in the history of the event. Meanwhile, government and opposition leaders, as well as other senior politicians, attended the, the two-day event. Uh, the Prime Minister and the Deputy Prime Minister and Mary Lou MacDonald from Sinn Féin, you know, the Sinn Féin leader, were scheduled to attend. Also, it was Northern Ireland's first defence delegate, Michelle O'Neill. She was heading down there. All the main political parties stand, stands at the applying championships, which also tried large numbers of people. Yesterday, people said 91,500 attended the first day. From the first light in the morning, the, the many car parks surrounding the 900-acre site began to fill and traffic built up on all major roads. Around 1,700 trade stands are in place. That's an awful lot. It is estimated 300,000 will attend the event over the three days. Speaking at the event, the Prime Minister defined the plan to retain the pension age at 66 and allow people to choose to work to 70. He said others were deliberately trying to mis- misform, misinform and mislead the plan, but everyone can uh, draw down from their own pension, draw down their own pension at 66, with options giving uh, people to defer that if they wish. Mr Martin said there will have to be some increase uh, in the pension that is important to have sustainability and pensions in the future. He did not accept that only younger people have to pay. More saying everyone will have to pay more as society evolves. People are living longer and the world is changing. Meanwhile, uh, he said that the budget measures to help small businesses should also apply to farmers. After attending the Plaid Championships, the Deputy Prime Minister told a meeting of the, the Fianna Gael Parliamentary Party that farmers get eager energy bills as domestic customers. Right. But he said that there will have to be an accommodation made to ensure farmers are treated similar to small businesses in respect of energy costs. So I'm not sure too much about that, who gets what, you know, what sort of percentage do they pay more than average households, as it were, or sort of companies. Anyway, on that note, I will have to love you and leave you and look forward to talking to you again next week, by the way. So... Be kind to one another and hang in there because the weather's forecast. It's raining now as I speak and it's going to get heavier this afternoon. But I feel like we've done okay compared to the other parts of the country with all the, the really foul wet weather. You know, it rained, yes, but it hasn't been the torrential downpours that they've uh, experienced in other parts of the country. So until next week, take care and enjoy your week ahead. Catch you later. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. See ya. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz 
forward slash donate.